0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Today, we're talking about Oregon's latest win, 24-17 over Cal uh, at home in Eugene at Odson Stadium. And I am joined by Ducks Digest reporter Allie Osborne, who was uh, actually at the game. She had her first opportunity to to cover a game for us. She was joined by Dylan Ruben King while I was on the road in Texas. So, Allie, how are you doing and how, how is your experience out there?
2: Well, first off, um, I want to thank everyone involved with Oregon football that made it possible for me and Dylan to be able to cover the Ducks game. It was such an amazing opportunity. Um, when I was a little kid going to Ducks games, I never thought that the little girl in the U of o cheerleading costume would be able to cover an actual Ducks game one day. And so that was a really full circle moment for me. And, um, a full circle moment for Dylan as well as that was his first game that he's ever covered. But, uh, I think that there's a lot to talk about here. Um, honestly, I think that, uh, there, the ducks once again kind of had a tendency to play down to their opponent. I think that the score in itself should not have been nearly as close as it's been. And I think that's because of a lot of faults, um, on offense and defense specifically, Specifically on offense. And that's what we're going to start off with. Max, what are your first kind of observations when it comes to the Oregon Ducks offense versus the Cal defense?
1: Absolutely. You know, a lot of people want to start it with uh, the quarterback uh, position, but I want to start it with the running back position for this one because this was one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, storylines heading into the game. Oregon's first game without CJ Verdell after he suffered a season ending injury a couple weeks back against Stanford. So, you know, how how is Travis Dye going to look in this game? Is he going to be able to, to take the 20-plus 20, 20 carry workload that kind of comes with being the lead back? Um, and, you know, C.J. Verdell sometimes didn't necessarily even see that much because they had that 1A, 1B kind of deal. But it was all Travis Dye in this game with the leading rusher and receiver for Oregon. Looking at his stats right now, 19 carries for 145 yards on the ground and a touchdown that averages out to 7.6 yards a carry and then through the air die making the big impact once again uh seven catches on eight targets for 73 yards with the long of 39 so this dude's just an explosive play waiting to happen and i think that you know maybe Cal isn't the the best test to you know see if he can have uh you know you know this kind of uh of an impact every game in this kind of a role um maybe you know if it came against a stanford team which is known for being perhaps more physical or like a washington in a rivalry game um that would have been you know maybe a little bit more telling, but I mean, case in point, Travis Dye is a baller and he just keeps doing what he's been doing the whole year and just, you know, racking up the yards for the Oregon.
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm in the first quarter. He had 77 yards that is receiving and rushing. And in the second quarter he had about a hundred yards, but what we really need to look at is that when Travis Dye was putting up numbers, the ducks in general weren't. Travis Dye had over 100 rushing yards in the second half, and the Ducks had only scored 10 points. And I think at some point you've got to look at the fact that Travis Dye cannot be the battering ram consistently. Um, I know that there were at least some incompletes to Jalen Red that were made by Anthony Brown, and I know that um, a lot of a lot of Duck fans on Twitter, a lot of Duck fans on social media – Um, are quick to discuss Anthony Brown being probably the major problem with this offense. Um, However, we saw, or I saw during the post-game press conference, Mario Cristobal said that Anthony Brown made a lot of really good plays, and offensive linemen who played center for um, the game versus Cal Ryan Walk said that Anthony Brown is our guy. We're going with him. We're standing behind him no matter what. Um, but I think that it's worth at least looking at the plays for this game. Um, but Travis Dye really did do a lot of a lot of the work on the ground. He was basically the battering ram for the ducks. and um, I mean, he was he was that guy. him and Jalen Red were the one and two. If they weren't if Anthony Brown wasn't running it, it was being put to Travis in some way. So
1: yeah, you, you talk about the, the run game on the ground. Obviously that starts with die. I think that the, the offensive line did a, a pretty good job uh you know clearing the way for him on that touchdown run. If uh, I had... may uh,
2: cut in a little bit, I also yeah. wanted to add that this is the first game we've seen where the offensive line has been consistent the entire game. Cause we have more bass, walk, jones, and malasala muabe laulu um, on the solid line. And this is one of those games where usually the line or the offensive line changes people in and out. Usually we see, um, a switch with powers in somewhere, either a guard or a tackle, or we see a Jaramillo go in at uh, attack left tackle. But we honestly, there were no changes during this game. And I think that that really added to a rhythm with the offensive line um, that it was kept consistent through the game. Um, I mean, other than I think the false start on bass in the third quarter, there was really, and I believe there was also maybe one call against Malasala in the second. There wasn't really um, a, a, a kind of disjointed feeling with the line, which I also wanted to point out because um, we've seen such an emphasis on switching out the line and um, the fact that it flows even through substitutions. Um, And I think that for this game, we really saw the line catch a stride and Ryan walk really came into his own as a leader, but that was just me wanting to switch in uh, as my own opinion, max continue.
1: No, Ali, I know you love talking about the offensive line and, and I love walk, watching the offensive line, uh, you know, at the games um, and especially on a film. Uh, I was just, you know, saying on Travis Dye's touchdown run that, you know, TJ Bass and, and Terrence Ferguson hit some great blocks as pullers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're doing a great job. 210 yards of rushing offense uh, for Oregon. And then if you flip the switch a little bit, flip the side, you know, Anthony Brown got sacked once in this one. But um, it's interesting that you talk about the consistency of, um, and we'll see if that is, is, a uh, you know, something that stays consistent, uh, throughout the rest of the season, you know, are they going to have just that one line and stick with it? Like a lot of people have maybe been calling for, but they, they started this game with some inconsistency. Alex Forsyth wasn't able to play, uh, after Mario Cristobal said that he looked good, uh, right. in the press conferences leading up to this one. And then Ryan Walk slid over. Um, so uh, it looks like that didn't play, you know, too much of a factor for this team because they've been working on that versatility throughout the off season through, through this season. Um, and, you know, Jones on the right side at guard and, and Sala at tackle and then we'll see if that's a mainstay, but uh, since you were there, Ali, um, I think one of the points that I wanted to talk about, we already got into a little bit was the quarterback play. Let's talk about Anthony Brown, 20 for 28, passing 244 yards and a touchdown. And then he also got some work on the ground as well. 13 carries for 44 yards and a touchdown. Um, Let's start with you. What did you see from Brown out there in Eugene?
2: Um, Well, the first thing I wanted to say is um, to add on to your point about Alex Forsythe not being able to play for that game. Him and Mace Funa were both in street clothes during the pregame, but were both announced on the Jumbotron As starters, which I think is interesting to point out, especially with the fact that um, Oregon is typically uh, so forthcoming with their um, injury reports. And it was interesting to see those guys injured or in street clothes, yet we see them on the Jumbotron. And also Alex Forsyth was wearing a type of back brace um, during most of the game on the sidelines. Um, So it is interesting to note because he was out of Stanford for back spasms. Um, We're not sure if that brace indicates a longer-term injury or not, but we were told that he would be back for the next game versus UCLA. Um, But with that out of the way, um, let's move to Anthony Brown. I think being there, being in that – in Austin, in that environment, um, I would say during the third quarter, things were tense, especially with the fans reacting to Anthony Brown. That was one of the most um, tense, aggressive environments I have ever seen a football game in. Um, It seemed like Oregon fans were expecting a lot more from Anthony Brown, um, and there just kind of was a disconnect with Anthony Brown when it comes to reading defensive schemes. Um, when he would run it, there were several times where he would just run directly into blocks being made by the linemen. Um, when he, he he's not able to throw a deep ball uh, or is not as accurate in that sense, um, and there were times where there were incompletions made by him that just were not... Uh, were not what we would expect. He was 20 for 28 at the game, which is not a great number given the fact, um, I mean, it's it's solid, but there were still eight incompletions that were made, which cost a lot of, um, of yards. And there was also, um, during the second quarter, there was a uh, run by Anthony Brown where there were a lot of yards missed. I believe it was about... 10, maybe over 10 that was missed by him being tackled. But I think Anthony Brown, what I appreciate about him is that he's willing to run. He's willing to run that ball when he knows he can't throw it. And I know a lot of quarterbacks are kind of hesitant because of the amount of pressure and the amount of physicality that can come from running that ball. But at the same time, um, running it every time is not And a quarterback keeper every time is not the solution, Um, especially when you're running into territory where you could get injured. And in that second quarter run where Anthony was basically pulled back by the Cal defensive guys, it's just at one point you're like, this is risking injury, Um, which I'm sure he understands. But from what was kind of seen, especially in the third quarter, Every time Anthony Brown threw, there were just raucousing, incredible boos from the crowd. You could hear the boos vibrating off of Autzen Stadium. And Ryan Walk, offensive lineman, later said in the postgame press conference that those boos motivated them. But at some point, you kind of have to think this is affecting him in some way.
1: Yeah, let's stay on the booze for a second, Allie, because that's certainly something that um, is pretty, you know, odd, right? You know, you grew up going to those games, so you've seen a lot of these teams uh, at Oregon. You know, experienced a lot of different environments. It's usually, you know, super loud, super uplifting as far as the you know Oregon crowd goes. But I think we can kind of lay some of the backdrop here for maybe some of the reasoning behind that. You know, Oregon was four zero going into the game against Stanford. And then they ended up dropping that first game of the season. Anthony Brown had his, you know, poorest performance of the year in that game. And he was very forthcoming about that when he was talking about the game. But a lot of people thought, okay, you know, this is the time. This is the opportunity to to maybe get a guy like a Ty Thompson or a Robbie Ashford or a Jay Butterfield, uh, you know, some, some reps, you know, getting maybe making that quarterback change. Cause when we're, this is such a huge conversation, obviously it's the quarterback position. Everybody wants to talk about it, mm-hmm. but I think what maybe some people don't understand or maybe take into account enough, it's hard to make a change when you're winning, you know, winning is what matters at the end of the day. And the ducks were winning until they played Stanford. But I do hear and, you know, somewhat agree with those fans that were calling for a quarterback change after the Stanford loss, the bye week comes at a good time. You have all that time to, to get somebody. If it is Ty Thompson ready to come in and then you have a struggling Cal team come to face you in that next game and you would think that it's a good opportunity to kind of let it rip. But yeah, those those boos were just crazy. And I mean, that, that was like I was kind of bummed that I wasn't able to be at the game to not necessarily experience that, but just to see kind of what it was like. Right. Because, you know, you were there and you were able to experience it. So maybe just let's just talk about kind of what you think you were able to draw from that as far as it relates to how they ultimately played.
2: Ooh, uh, I could draw a bit from that. Um,
1: Go for it. Go it for was- it.
2: It was one of those times where you're so used to seeing Autzen lit up and electric and just cheering and roaring. And when you have a portion of the stadium, I don't want to say a majority because it was certainly not a majority, but at least a strong vocal portion of that stadium, booing your own team and booing the leader of your own team. I think that, um, Personally, I do not jive with that. I don't think that in any way there should have been booze towards Anthony Brown. I think that there is a um, certain expectation that is put on quarterbacks at the University of Oregon, specifically because Anthony Brown is succeeding such a successful quarterback like Justin Herbert. There was such an expectation put on him, him, and I think that um, Oregon in particular is – so blessed to be having such incredible leaders one after the other after the other such iconic quarterbacks that um i think at this point oregon fans are kind of expecting the incredible and i think with this team and with anthony brown who is a six year senior we know what's coming from him um we've seen his play i personally don't think he's a great guy I don't think that the incredible is coming from that. I don't think we're going to get Justin Herbert level play. I don't think we're going to get Marcus Mario to level play. Um, I saw a tweet where somebody compared the criticism towards Anthony Brown to uh, Joey Harrington. No, no. Let me repeat that again. No, you are not comparing Anthony Brown to Joey Harrington. There's no comparisons here. He was his own person And I think that the reactions in the stadium definitely beg for that, for giving Ty Thompson a chance or uh, Butterfield. I think that there should be a consideration for a switch-up. However, what I keep going back to is the press conference in which Ryan Walk said, this is our guy. He came over to the bench when we were doing bad, and he said that we're rolling with this. He is our quarterback. He's our guy. We're behind him 100%. And if the people that are taking the most amount of damage for this guy to stay in the pocket are swearing up and down, he's the one that should be there, then I'm kind of siding with Brian Walk, not going to lie. I mean, if you're going to take that amount of damage – And you're still going to stand behind this guy then that says something
1: you mentioned you know uh the expectation for from oregon fans being for the incredible and i think that that is is rooted in large part because of the weapons that that this offense has at their disposal i wrote a story but before the season started before we even knew that anthony brown was going to be the quarterback you know what oregon's quarterback has to do this year and i don't think that they need him to be you know, running. And I said in the piece, you know, they don't need him to be making these spectacular plays, you know, running it like on the run and heaving it 50 yards down the field to get somebody, but you need to get the ball to your playmakers. And I think that um, we, we haven't seen that to the degree that, that a lot of people expected, you know, Devin Williams, talk about a playmaker. He's a guy that looks like he's emerging, you know, the most since we've seen him at Oregon, he had a pretty solid game for Oregon uh, four catches on five targets for 67 yards. A couple of those were for first down. So, it looks like they're starting to get some some chemistry, which is great. Anthony Brown to his credit had a good back, back shoulder throw to him. But um just to kind of wind down the quarterback talk, because we have a little bit of some other stuff we want to get to in this one, um, I think that you know Brown's performance, his his stats aren't totally indicative of his performance. You know, 20 for 28, yeah. no turnovers for 244 yards. That that sounds pretty good coming off, but I think so many of his throws are just conservative. Safe throws underneath routes, drag routes, check downs. Um, and, and just- the
2: 11 yard rushing touchdown in the fourth really shut up those boos. Not gonna lie, it seemed like once the stadium was against him, when he ran in that touchdown in the fourth quarter with four minutes left to go, everyone was cheering and screaming like nothing had ever happened. Continue,
1: yeah, yeah. And just to, to, you know, obviously, you know, we're. We're reporters, so we gotta. We want to tell the whole picture, you know. We don't, don't want to just come off like we're just ragging on the guy. To his credit, he did have some big plays, especially in that fourth quarter when the game was on the line. Absolutely. Um, that that running touchdown was great, and then he also had uh, a big passing touchdown to to Jalen Red, which was which was impressive. And I think you know threading that into some coverage says a lot. So, at, at this point, I feel like we know what we have with Anthony Brown. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, but I think it's encouraging, you know, just to, to play devil's advocate a little bit that that we're seeing him get, you know, some more chemistry with some other guys. Um, and we're seeing some more receivers able to emerge here, like Devin Williams and Johnny Johnson had an amazing layout grab. We gotta talk about that one. I think it was number six mm-hmm. on the top ten that day for for Sports Center. But so, you know, ducks win ugly. Um and I think there's still definitely some good things with, with Travis Dye, obviously, like we mentioned earlier. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about here, Ali, as far as it goes to the offense and kind of what we, what you saw, rather, out there on Friday?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data,
2: Well, one of the things I wanted to say was on college game day the next day, they said a quote that I really think is pertinent to this win, which is they don't ask how you win. They asked if you win. And I think that with Oregon, this win, though it is ugly, and though there is a lot of stats that are pretty close, um, Cal getting 402 total yards, Oregon getting 454, that's – Fairly tight there with passing yards, even tighter with 247 for Cal, 244 for Oregon, um, rush yards, 155 for Cal, 210 for Oregon. Um, it was there was a lot that Oregon kind of left on the table offensively, um, specifically for the way that they could have been a lot more aggressive, could have been a lot more articulate and precise. Specifically um, with Anthony Brown, there was a lot of incompletions that were made at times that should not have had that happen. But when he showed up, he showed up. In the last two quarters, he showed up and he was able to get that final touchdown and was able to um, secure in the fourth quarter uh, that twenty-yard pass to Jalen Red, which earned us a touchdown as well. Um, and I think that though there is a lot to improve on here, and though that we there is still uproar about changing quarterbacks, I think that what we have to look at, we just have to compartmentalize it as one and zero. Mario Cristobal's saying for the whole season, it and is 1-0. Let's move on from here.
1: And, you know, the, the Ducks do control their own destiny to a degree now. Um, you know, winning is what matters most at the end of the day, and the Ducks are getting it done. Um, with some of the shakeup that we've seen in the Pac-12, um, you know, Washington State being Stanford this past, this weekend, that obviously, uh, you know, helps the Ducks with matchups mm-hmm. against Oregon State and Washington State still on the schedule. Um, so that's, that's, that's huge. You know, you, you, you don't ever want to be in the position where you have to root for certain things to happen, which let's be honest, that was to a degree where the ducks were, Mm. but the PAC 12 is cannibalizing itself once again, uh, and it's chaotic. So that's kind of what, where we're at right now, but let's talk about the other side of the ball alley, the defense, there's plenty to get into here. Kayvon Thibodeau's return, Noah Sewell continues to just ball out this year. Where, Where do you want to start with this one?
2: Um, I immediately want to sa- start. I already got ahead of myself with the sack that uh, Kayvon Thibodeau did as soon as he got into the game. There was that immediately that immediate sack on Garbers that just set the tone for the rest of the game. He is an animal. I mean, honestly, I feel like if you're thinking about an immediate change. To the defense, it was as soon as Kayvon Thibodeau came in. It was as soon as he started playing. You could see that there was a shift in the Cal offense as soon as he came in. And um, I personally love to start with that. Um, He wasn't, as a reminder for those who are not aware, he was not able to play until the second half of the Cal game due to a targeting call during um, the Stanford game. And Max, what are your personal thoughts takeaways from Kayvon Thibodeau uh jumping in in the second half
1: man he he was playing like a man possessed I think that this was our first game potentially you know really seeing him back at 100% um you know I I don't want to speculate and say he wasn't at 100% against Stanford that's not what I want to say because you know uh, everything that we heard was that he was full go at Stanford but Mm -hmm. with the way the game played out against Stanford you know, I think he wasn't necessarily in the best position, put in the best positions. Tanner McGee was getting the ball out really quickly. Uh, Stanford ran the ball a lot. Um, so especially with the the brand of football that Stanford's playing, you know, they like to just, you know, throw those jump balls and those, the, the ball comes out pretty quickly on those. So, um, you know, he, he didn't have, you know, his best game, uh, obviously of the year, didn't have his best game of the year against Stanford, but man, against Cal, he was balling out. Um, oh, yeah. five total tackles, two solo tackles, and a sack, which is also the tackle for loss. There, you could just instantly tell how much he changed the the tone of, of this offense. You know, everyone's seen this stat, but I wanted to throw it out there. Uh, from the PFF stat of uh, his 2020, of his 22 pass rushing snaps, he registered 11 pressures, which is just phenomenal. Um, you know, you saw Garber's, you know, miss on a couple throws because he had to get the ball out of there sooner than he would have liked. Um, But especially on that last drive, I mean, he was just manhandling uh, the the Cal offensive line and just, you know, causing disruption, wrecking havoc, doing what Kayvon Thibodeau does. And it was a performance like this that shows you as if you ever needed a reminder. Maybe some people did because, like I said, the Stanford game wasn't the best for him. You see games like this and then you're reminded why he's you know getting slated to potentially even go number one overall in the next year's draft.
2: Oh, absolutely! And uh, he had five total tackles overall, three assisted and two soloed, and just the physicality, the anger that you could see from Thibodeau really like cemented why he is such an important part of the Oregon defense. And speaking of anger, holy crud! Noah Sewell needs some anger counseling, like management or something like that. That man is on fire. I. He had twelve total sack, twelve total tackles, six assisted, and six soloed. Um, and I remember being at Austin and watching him play. He played angry after every play. He was just posted up with the whole mean guy arms. Everything. He was ready. He was angry, and he was here to take things over, and he did have one sack for three yards, which was also extremely impactful on the game. Just Noah Sewell, in the post-conference interview, Mario Cristobal said that Noah Sewell is one of the best players in that position that he has ever been around. For Mario Cristobal to say that is extremely, extremely telling of the talent that we have. Um, from Noah Sewell, and the talent that the Ducks have from Noah Sewell. He is just – he plays with a lot of heart, and we've seen that through his persistence, through injuries, um, through the fact that he kind of seems like – you know in Mortal Kombat, when Jason has an ability to come back from the dead? That is the vibe that I get from Noah Sewell. Whenever it seems like he has an injury and comes back and just – eats like a dog it is incredible uh do you have any more to say about that max
1: you talk about his injuries and his persistence and the grit that he plays with i can't help but think back to last year against ucla when he got carted Mm -hmm. off with that injury uh Mm -hmm. you know was obviously very emotional about that because you know i think it's a game that's very important to him and and you never want to come out like that but then he suited up the next week against washington state uh i believe it was washington state that they played the next week but he just He's just a cyborg. You know, he, he's a gritty guy who, who's going to leave everything out there on the field. You talked about what Cristobal had to say after the game, and I actually have his quotation up here on the screen, um, or on my screen, rather. Um, so I wanted to read it real quick just to kind of put this into perspective with you know how how he's playing and just how highly regarded he is by Cristobal. Here's what he had to say. I think he's the best. He's the best I've been around at that position. I mean, it's almost deja vu with when Panay was here, and I felt that way. I feel the mm-hmm. same way about Noah. That's the guy that last year didn't get a lot of time to train and only played in six or seven games. Now we're in this season and every single game he's taking over. He's doing so many great things and he is, and he does it in a physical manner. He's a knockback tackler who changes the game at the line of scrimmage. He can rush the passer. He covers a lot of grounds from sideline to sideline and makes up for sometimes when there's a missed tackle, he's an elite player and an elite human being. And I think that, you know, that's what Chris wanted to say, but he really became the face of this offense when KT was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, Varone McKinley, he's, you know, played a really good season as well. So he's definitely another big guy that's worth mentioning. Um, But as far as Noah Sewell goes, that's kind of the the piece that I wanted to say about him.
2: Oh, and that quote from Cristobal, can you imagine that being said about anyone else? I, it is such high praise coming from uh, a man who is extremely critical and extremely precise with his craft and his acknowledgement of Noah Sewell is extremely impressive. And going on to uh, Verone McKinley, he did have uh, seven tackles overall, four solo, three assisted. Um, He was able to pick up that slack where Noah Sewell um, maybe was not able to get there immediately. Um, Mikel Wright Also with nine total tackles, Um, he was kind of a dog. He was a beast. He was out there as well. Um, He fought with that kind of same anger that Noah Sewell had. But overall, it was just extremely impressive. And while we are on the defensive, I know this is where we put the special teams. Can we please shout out Camden Lewis for getting all of his kicks? And also the Australian sensation, Tom Snee. Were kind of being switched in and out with um Camden Lewis for punts and for extra points because I saw that there was kind of a kind of a switch in and out with those two
1: yeah you got to give a shout out to the to the special teams Camden Lewis has just been phenomenal this season so far um seven for seven I believe is the number that he's rocking with so mm-hmm. he continues to do really well and you know Tom snee's been uh one of the the best parts of this team so far on the on the year you know you talk about some of the offensive inconsistencies that we've seen when the offense struggles then you sometimes need the punter to bail you out and then that ultimately sets up the defense everyone you know how football works if you're watching this but uh to to talk about some of the other performances that we saw in this game and you know some more thoughts on this oregon defense um chase garbers finished 25 for 43 with 247 yards and two Mm -hmm. touchdowns was sacked twice. And then he was also pretty involved in the run game, much like Anthony Brown is running the ball nine times for 31 yards.
2: However, Um, if I may add, um, Chase Garbers is the ace of incompletions. It it seemed like almost every other play, there was an incomplete. I believe at one point um, during the second quarter, there were three incompletes in a row. Really great. I mean, not really great, but really bad, uh, really great for the ducks, really bad for Cal continue.
1: Yeah. And the, so Garbers had his moments. Uh, I think that the ducks in large part were able to, to limit some of the explosive plays that, that Cal had started to, to kind of get going. Um, you know, this year, Trevon Clark, they're arguably their most explosive playmaker had five targets, only had one catch for 24 yards. Uh, you figure, you know, that obviously you know, comes with the play of the Oregon secondary and how they're doing. But um, in large part, the, the Ducks were able to, in my mind, I think one of their biggest strides in this game was uh, in the ground game. You know, they've kind of been getting gashed the past couple of games, mm-hmm. but Cal in this one, they were, they only had 155 yards on the ground. Um, so when, when the defense is still kind of trying to get together, I feel like it's, it's hard to get a really solid evaluation of this defense because they've been so banged up this year. Mace Funa, another guy that you mentioned earlier that that didn't play, you know, he he got pretty banged up at the Stanford game. Um, you know, I was watching him coming off the field, and the the trainers were, you know, you know, walking with him step for step. So he's a guy that you hope is going to be able to get on the field sooner. But they got Braden Swinson back, uh, and they also got Adrian Jackson back at times. So you're getting some some more health here for the Ducks. Hopefully, getting you know some a more of a complete team. But um, yeah, I think that another part i kind of wanted to talk about i don't want to jump too all over the place here but this is the second game that we've seen from Oregon where they haven't forced a turnover Mm -hmm. um you know if if you're looking at this alley how how do you kind of evaluate that you know is that a big deal for you or are you maybe not as concerned because we're seeing some of these other you know signs for growth like in the run defense
2: um i'm personally more concerned about the amount of penalties that uh oregon had and i know that mario cristobal kind of highlighted that in the post-game conference um Oregon had nine penalties for 82 yards. That's a lot. And Oregon's consistently had a lot of costly and not extremely, um, not necessary at all penalties come out of kind of nowhere. Um, Cal also wasn't doing too well with penalties, but not as bad as us uh, with 10 penalties for 78 yards. Um, So I think that that would definitely be something to look at. um, And I I think that there needs to be kind of a uh, kind of a real back on penalties specifically, Um, and I know to note uh, Cal. One of the reasons we were the defense, Oregon Ducks defense was able to really plow through them was because the amount of um, offensive line holds that were called on Cal was ridiculous. But um, for Oregon specifically, I think that um, penalties is probably I think the most able to be focused whether we get turnovers or not is great but um at the same like point penalties really need to be focused on
1: crystal ball got asked about that after the the press conference you know i was i was actually packing up a little bit for my flight the next day while i was in some of the press conferences so just trying to listen to some of it um was you know he, he was asked you know how do you go about addressing those and he's like you know i i run a program that you know is is rooted and, and, and discipline and, and being precise and, you know, everything that goes with that. And he says, you know, I got to, you know, he he took accountability for that. I was just saying, you know, it's gotta be better, but it was, you know, one of those answers where there wasn't a whole lot of um, Mm -hmm. detail necessarily, but, you know, I think that it, it stands to say that he, he did own up to that and say, you know, I run a program that is focused on, you know, execution and, and missing out on penalty. We don't want penalties here. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, tighten up on that one for sure. Um, but I think, let's see, I'm trying to think of what else maybe we want to talk about as far as this game goes. I know we had, I kind of wanted to maybe look a little ahead to UCLA here before we get out of here. Um, but any other points on this game, whether it be the defense that you kind of wanted to touch on Allie?
2: Um, not particularly.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, no problem. So ducks now turn their attention to UCLA, they're going to be heading down to Los Angeles this upcoming week for, uh, you know, another one of their biggest games on the schedule. A lot of people have had this game scheduled, circled rather, on the schedule, yeah. uh, especially ever since UCLA knocked off LSU, um, you know, with that SEC Pac-12 battle. Um, I think that that was a big statement win for them and just how Chip Kelly has has turned that program around. And I think that it's going to be a huge challenge for Oregon to contain Dorian Thompson Robinson, but. If KT can play like he did against Cal, I think that'll go a long way. Game day is going to be there uh, in Los Angeles. So I'm super amped for that game. I'm going to be flying down to LA next week, hitting the road once again to to cover this game. But um, you have any thoughts on this one, Allie, before we end it?
2: Um, my thoughts basically is that the offense, we've, got a solid idea on what the offensive line will look like if uh Forsyth returns that may change um but which he is likely to return so maybe see walk moving out to a guard position possibly replacing Steven Jones I would think um but I I think that going into this there really needs to be um Brown really needs to be better. And I, it's, it's terrible to say because his stats were fine against Cal. But I think that the Oregon fans expect a lot more out of their quarterback, out of their leader than um, what a normal Pac 12 team would expect. And um, I think that's because of the precedent that comes with being the leader for Oregon. And I think that um, the, the booze as Ryan walk said that motivates should continue to motivate that should continue to encourage really good play that should continue to encourage a better read of the defense. And I think that um, if we already know, yes, we have seen Anthony Brown for six years do consistent what he does, but there's always that kind of hope that maybe that he'll prove those booers wrong or that maybe he'll be able to kind of cement his place. And um, I, ju- I just hope that he's able to do that. I hope that, um, ca- that UCLA isn't, isn't able to shove the Ducks down because I know that they're extremely physical and uh, that will be one of the biggest challenges for the Ducks.
1: Some final thoughts on Brown, you know, stats don't tell the whole story. You know, his his turnover in this one uh, really came at a crucial time. Ducks are working on driving as the clock winds down in the first half, just past midfield. You don't even need that big of a play, but if you can get a little bit more out of your offense, who knows Camden Lewis could get in range and then get you some, some much needed points in a game that was that close. Every Mm -hmm. turnover is super critical. So I think that that, you know, is, is uh, you know, something that, that you could knock Brown for and in that sense, but has an opportunity to, to face uh, a talented UCLA team to see what he can do there. But before we hop out, Allie, we do this every show, every pod. Oh, yeah. Where can people find more of you?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, if you want to find more of me um, and my hot takes on everything, um, you can find me at Ali Sosborn on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me every day uh, in Bend at Central Oregon Daily News. I am a news reporter. It's fun. You can see me and we'll be buddies. What about you, Max? Let them know.
1: If you can fi- if you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter at Sports. If you're watching our YouTube video here, you can see it right there on the screen. Also ask that you subscribe to the channel here uh, at Oregon Football Max Taurus. Only takes a second out of your day. Just past the 500 subs mark. So I uh, definitely want to give a shout out to all the supporters and subscribers that are out there. Want to keep that going uh, to help build up you know, all this content. Allows me to keep doing my thing, covering the Ducks. Also, give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook uh, at Ducks Digest as well. That's all we have for this one, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week for more UCLA previews.